Welcome to the Houghton Baptist Podcast. Today, special guest Brandon Blasiola will be sitting in for Pastor Dave, and he will be studying the book of Matthew, chapter 4, talking about the temptation of Christ with a sermon title of Temptation, It's Everywhere, or we could call it Chocolate, Should I or Shouldn't I? It's going to be a good sermon. Check it out. Afterwards, check out our website. A lot of information there about the church and things going on at the church, including the Love, Inc. banquet coming up soon in April. More info on that to come. Enjoy the podcast and have a great day. Before we begin, I just want to go before God just a second and ask His Spirit to be with us. So God's Word is inspired by God, so take a second and ask Him to be with us. Lord God, we thank You for who You are and what You do, Lord, and pray that Your Spirit will be with us this morning as we, we have a look at how Jesus faced temptation. Amen. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Brandon Blasiola. I'm a graduate student at Michigan Tech right now. So, a little bit of backstory. So growing up, my dad was always going to the gym. It was a regular thing. So he would go to the gym three times a week. Occasionally, I would go or my sister would go. And throughout that, when I was older, I started working out with him. I did high school sports. And my wife, Erica, was also an athlete. She swam in high school. And we like, you know, like working out. Does anyone else like working out? (laughs) Does anyone work out even though they don't like it? (laughs) So that's the thing. It's... You know, we like working out, but we get married and life happens. You get busy with, you know, instead of just me worrying about me, now I have Erica that I have to, that I get to help. You know, we do life together and we have jobs and different schedules and things that don't align. And sometimes just our own stuff gets in the way of us, but sometimes, you know, we can't control that. Other times, like one time Erica, she showed me a picture she saw on Facebook or something. It was, uh, so there are two types of people in every relationship. One who says, hey, let's go to the gym. And the other says, oh, look, brownies. <laughs> so sometimes we have internal things that we can't change, like work, life, schedules that inhibit us from going to the gym. Other times we have brownies that take away from the effects of going to the gym. <laughs> Now, it's not, I'm not saying it's a sin to not go to the gym. That's kind of crazy. I'm just not trying to accuse anyone or give any hints. I'm just saying that, you know, temptations we face in life can be very similar to what we face with working out. I mean, we know that going to the gym is healthier than eating a brownie. But there are things that can prevent us from doing that. Like I said, work, life, you know, schedules, things come up. But the outside influences that prevent us from going to the gym don't change the fact that we know that going to the gym is healthy. It's the same way with spiritual distractions and spiritual temptations. Because we're tempted to do something doesn't mean that that's what we want to do. We know that we want to praise God. We know that we want to live for Him and worship Him. But things try to pull us away from that. We know what's healthy, but sometimes we choose the brownies. So today I'm going to have a look at Matthew chapter 4. 1 through 11, and see what we can learn from Jesus when he faced his temptation. I'm reading out of the ESV. I believe they have it on the screen, so you guys can follow along if you wish. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. 
But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. As we know, or as you might not know, this scene takes place immediately following Jesus' baptism. So Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, heaven opens up, Spirit of God descends like a dove. The Lord says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It's a beautiful picture in the Bible. It's pretty sure it's the only place where the Trinity is all in the same spot on earth. It's just, it's a beautiful picture of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, going from there, Jesus then is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So this is one of the first things that I, I really want to tell you guys is that the tempter is the devil. God doesn't tempt you. God doesn't tempt anyone. It would be counterintuitive to who God is for him to tempt anyone. Jesus left the glory of heaven to become a man so he could live a life of rejection and die on a cross for our sins so we could be free from that bondage. God's not going to try to trip us up for that. Because Jesus died, it's, not, it's like what Paul says. It's not a license to sin. It doesn't give us freedom to sin. It gives us freedom from sin. God's not going to try to catch you off guard. He's not standing up there with lightning bolts hoping to smite you. James, the brother of Jesus, says in his epistle, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So God's desire is that we prevail through our temptation, not that he can catch us in our weakness. So a little bit of backstory for this verse, or I guess for looking, you know, moving forward. Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Numbers usually refer to earlier things in the Bible, so we can look at, well, Noah's Ark, 40 days, 40 nights, just things to, to think of. So 40 days and 40 nights, but Matthew makes the detail of saying that Jesus was hungry. It seems kind of plain as day, common sense, if you don't eat for 40 days, you would be hungry. So I, when I was reading this and preparing, I thought, What's, what's the significance of bringing up that detail? Well, I see a couple of reasons. One, Matthew is reminding us that Jesus experienced humanity. Jesus was as much human as you or I are. He happened to be the, you know, he's the Son of God incarnate, but he experienced all the things that we experience. Hunger, thirst, sleep. You know, it's part of who he was. He experienced humanity in its fullness. He wasn't walking around the wilderness sustaining himself internally. He was... He was hungry. He didn't eat. And I find that that's fascinating. It's just something that um, Matthew goes to show to say, hey, just so you know, he's hungry. But why is that important? Well, it's like those Snickers commercials. (laughs) You know, it shows the Golden Girls or someone, and one of them is this burly, surly guy in a little pastel dress, and one's like, hey, Marge, you're not you you when you're hungry. Give them a Snickers, and they're back to being, you know, so-and-so. So that's what it's like. Hunger affects us. When we're hungry, we just, we want to not be hungry. We want to eat. And hunger, unlike, at least what I believe, is unlike other physical conditions, it seems to bring out the things in us that are easier to hide when we're hungry. 
We become irritable, unhappy, can get quick with people, and angry, or hangry, as some people call it. And I believe that this is easier because hunger is something that affects our flesh, and we like to have control. And we think, well, if I can't eat something right now, at least I can you know, choose to be angry. I can choose to be irritable. These things that satisfy my flesh because I don't want to be patient. I don't want to be nice. I don't want to be cordial. These things are easier. It feels good to us, to our flesh, to, to do things that satisfy us. And when we can't satisfy our hunger, it's easier for us to succumb to other temptations, whether that be, you know, angry or getting irritable or violent or lustful. These things, it's, it's a way of us wanting to have control. So what does this mean for Jesus in this, in this passage? It means that Jesus was, in human terms, about as vulnerable to any temptation as any of us could ever be. Jesus is still able to resist the devil, though, and the devil's temptations and have victory over it. So we can look to see what he does and learn from it. So verse 3, And the tempter, the devil, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. So the devil comes along and decides he's going to choose to tempt Jesus with probably what would seem to be a cheap shot, an easy, an easy grab at getting Jesus to stumble, which is his hunger. So, it doesn't, so one thing to notice also is that it doesn't say that anyone was forcing Jesus to fast. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, but Jesus chose you know, of his own volition to fast. And just like anything that we decide ourselves to do, it sometimes is very easy to eh, just forget about it. You know, we want to get up every morning to run, but if we're not doing it with anybody, it's easy to just go back on it. Because one, we're not meeting anybody for it, so we're not accountable to anybody except ourselves. And when you're accountable to yourself, it, it's not that great. I mean, you're, you're not a, yourself is not the best accountability partner because you always figure out a way to justify it and say, I'll... I'll do it later, or I'll have time some other time. So, it might work for a little bit, but in the end, it's easy to shrug off a self-made commitment. So that was probably thinking, this is easy. Jesus is hungry, let's get him to eat. Another thing you notice is as if you are the Son of God. The devil challenges Jesus' identity. Looks, looks at him and says, you know, if you are the Son of God, well, what does it mean to be the Son of God? He is God. He has all power over things physical and spiritual. Yeah, Jesus could easily turn stones into bread. Jesus isn't, or the devil isn't questioning Jesus' ability to do that. He's accusing Jesus of not being able to. So, if there was any of us, if you accuse me of not being able to do something that I know I can do, well, I'll show you what's up. And... <laughs> I mean, that's just how it goes. That's how we are as people, is we like to, to prove ourselves. But Jesus, knowing that he's the Son of God, and knowing that he's not going to succumb to the devil, he tells him that if you are the son, or he tells him that men shall not live by bread alone. So even though Jesus was able to do it, it wasn't the proper time for him to do it. It's like when I was younger, my dad gets home from work, you know, we might wrestle around sometimes, but if he gets home and he showers right away because we have church that night and I want to wrestle around with him on the floor, he's not going to. It's not that my dad doesn't want to wrestle, it's not that he's unable to, it's just he just showered, it's cleaned up, he's ready to go to bed or to go out for the night, so it's not the right time. It's very similar to what Paul says in Corinthians. So in 1 Corinthians 10.23, Paul tells them that all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful or expedient. So just because you're allowed to do something or you are able to do something doesn't necessarily mean that you should. So in, in Corinthians, the, they're taking the freedom that they had found in Christ 
you know, all things are lawful. But, and they were perverting it. That's why Paul has to write to them to tell that. And a really clear example that I know of this that I've seen deals with alcohol. So some people believe that it's okay to have a drink. Other people don't even look at this stuff. But where we are in the United States, if you're 21 or older, it's legal to have a drink. Some Christians say yes, some say no. But viewpoints notwithstanding, if your plan is to evangelize to someone and you have them over for dinner and they have a history of alcoholism or over-drinking and they're trying to overcome that, don't have a drink at the table. Don't offer it. We shouldn't be a stumbling block to people either in the faith that we're discipling or to people outside of the faith that we're evangelizing to. But it's my right, my house, my rules. If they have an issue with it, it's their problem, right? No, it's not. Flaunting your freedom in front of someone who has different convictions or weaknesses from you is very anti-Christian. It's like the kid on the, at the lunch table whose mom lets him take candy to lunch. He's not going to make very many friends if he hoards it to himself and just says, look what I have. It's flaunting, what you, flaunting your personal convictions in front of people who have other convictions is not going to help you spread the gospel. It's not going to help you grow them and disciple them and build a strong relationship. Another thing while I'm on that, with people who do have different temptations than you or different struggles, you can't belittle them for that. Just because you don't suffer or you don't struggle from an alcohol problem or you don't suffer or struggle with porn or addictions to lust doesn't mean you can belittle them. There's no reason for that. It's just as hard for the person who struggles with alcoholism to resist alcohol than it is for someone who's never struggled with that to resist pornography or to resist being lustful. Just because they struggle differently does not give you a right to belittle them. And on a side note with that, a lot of the time, things that we know we struggle with, we can see from a mile away. It's like, I didn't grow up in the South, but there are snakes. So if there's a rattlesnake, you know where the rattlesnake lives, you don't go near where the rattlesnake lives. (laughs) It's the same way with facing our spiritual lusts and temptations and desires of the flesh. If we know that something is there, we don't get near it. An analogy that a campus minister of mine says is, if you know that a nuclear bomb is going to blow up in Houghton, are you going to try to be as close to it as you can while being okay? No, you're going to try to get as far away from it as you can. In the same way, we can't be you know, poking the snake with the stick, hoping that it doesn't bite us. It's not going to work that way. So where was I? So Jesus is able to make stones into bread, but it's not the proper time. And then... Another thing, later in Matthew, there are two stories of Jesus multiplying bread to feed thousands of people. It just goes to show that Jesus does indeed have the power and the ability, but when he was being tempted, it was not the right time. So, Jesus is tempted, how does he respond? He quotes scripture. So, a lot of times in the Bible, if it's blocked off or in all capital letters or in quotations, it's usually a quote from the Old Testament. So, this happens to be from Deuteronomy 8.3. So, I'm going to... Read that. So it says that he, God, humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus knows that what the devil is tempting him with is something that he doesn't need. Doesn't need bread. We need God. So, moving on from that, the devil tempts him the second time. And the second attempt, maybe, I don't know, when I was reading it, it seemed more... Sneaky, perhaps? Conniving? Not sure the right word. Verse 5 says, um, The devil takes Jesus up to a high place, tells him to jump off the temple, relying on angels to save him. So I think this is a tricky move by the devil because he's quoting scripture. Strange thing that the devil quotes scripture. 
But if we look at it, so he quotes, it's from Psalm 91. It says, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands he will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So, if you look in your Bible at Psalm 91, it's probably titled something like, My Refuge or My Fortress. But it talks about how if we make our dwelling place in God, that He will be our shelter and our strength and our support, our place of refuge. It doesn't say that if we put ourselves in harm's way, God's going to always be there. So something that, that we have to think about is God protects those who make their dwelling in Him, but if you're intentionally putting yourself in harm's way, you know, testing God, it's not going to be beneficial for you. Just because you're able and you know that God has that doesn't mean that you're going to help out or that He's going to be there. So God protects us from outside attack. In Psalm 91 says, you know, the snare of the fowler, arrows that fly by day, destruction at noonday. Those are all outside things that are coming against us, not things that we're doing to ourselves. <clears throat> so Jesus knows, knows this. So obviously Jesus, growing up, he would have learned of the Psalms and Scriptures. And he quotes again, this time Deuteronomy 6.16. He says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the rest of that verse is, As you tested him at Massah. So the question is, what's Massah? Well, Massah is, refers to a scene in Exodus 17 where the people of Israel are complaining about not having water. So they're wandering around in the wilderness, and they're getting upset at Moses because they see Moses as the leader, and they want to stone him because they think it would have been better if they never left Egypt, because at least there they had enough sustenance to survive. So Moses goes before the Lord, and the Lord tells him to hit this rock, and water comes out. So verse 7 in Exodus 17 says, He called that place Massah because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So that's the key part to this. They putting your Lord to the test by wondering if He's there. God promises that He'll never leave us or forsake us. We don't need to double-check Him on that. We don't need to micromanage and look over His shoulder and make sure He's there watching over us. We just need to trust that God is there for us and He's going to be there when we need Him to be. So, the devil tries to use Scripture about protection of God to get Jesus to throw Himself off the temple to prove that God is there. But Jesus knows that that's not how it works. He knows that God is there. He Himself is God. So Jesus succeeds in his second temptation. For the third, Matthew says that the devil takes Jesus to a very high mountain. And just something to notice here that I thought was interesting, I'm not sure if there's probably some deeper meaning to it, but in the terms of the different temptations, there's an altitude change. So he starts in the wilderness, and then he's on top of the temple, and then he's at a very high mountain. Just something I thought was interesting to, to take note of. Anyway, so the devil takes Jesus up and shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. The devil offers these kingdoms to Jesus if Jesus worships the devil. This time, Jesus rebukes the devil and quotes more scriptures, saying, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, you shall serve him, by his name you shall swear. So that word fear also means worship, so it is by the Lord your God you shall worship. So we worship God alone, we don't worship anyone else. At this point, the devil leaves and the angels come and minister to Jesus. And I find, I find this temptation particularly intriguing because it deals with a matter of timing. So, in Revelation 11, we read that the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. So the devil was offering Jesus something that Jesus knew he would already have access to, just not at that time. It's like, I don't know, like a savings bond or agreeing to for a business, you know, this entitles you to so much at a later date. 
So Jesus being omniscient or all-knowing, he knew that when the seventh angel would blow the trumpet, that the kingdom of the world would become the kingdom of God and of his Christ. So we know that Jesus would have that. Jesus knew what was coming and he was ready for it. He knew that it wasn't the proper time to do it. So it's just a matter of waiting. It's like getting married. Once you're married, it's expected and encouraged. But prior to, it's you know no good. Jesus, Jesus understands timing. Then obviously, I mean, worshiping the devil, that seems like an easy one to resist. So Jesus is God. God does not worship people. He receives his worship from us. So we can't allow ourselves to do things we were never meant to do in order to obtain things that we already have. So we can't allow the devil to convince us that we can somehow have a shortcut to our happiness or a, sh- a cheaper way to obtain things that are rightfully ours. Even although it might not be at the proper time. So, so that's all that I have for you today. So we've looked at Matthew chapter 4 and how Jesus does that. So I can pray and praise team come up. So, Lord God, we thank you for your word and for what you can teach us and instruct us through it, God. And we thank you for, for what you do, for what you've done, and what you continue to do, Lord. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Houghton Baptist Podcast. We appreciate your support. And speaking of support, there's a lot of different ways you can support Houghton Baptist in addition to the traditional way of giving your tithe or check at church. We have online giving on our website at HoughtonBaptist.org, and we also have text giving. If you're interested in text giving, just dial 906-346-1317 and follow the information from there. Easy peasy. If you're looking for a church or you're just not sure what church is all about, why don't you stop by Houghton Baptist Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Be there. Come as you are. We do. Have a great day.